Well, around Christmas time this year, I had a conversation with someone who was going through a relational struggle. And I knew a little background on this person's uh, relational struggle, but as I listened to them go on and on and on and on about their relational struggle, the the more they talked about it, I, I just listened and listened. And then finally, after a while, I stopped them and said, ah, said something very profound, ah, don't let it bother you. And I don't know what I thought this person was going to say. Yeah, you're right. I really shouldn't let all of this that I've just told you bother you. But this is what this person said to me. Don't let it bother me. That's the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten in my life. How can I not let it bother me? And they were right. I guess it was Christmas time and I'd heard a lot and a lot just was, you know, they just kept talking about it and they'd been talking about it for a while and I guess I wasn't in the right pastoral frame of mind or counseling frame of mind to really deal with it as I should, but they were exactly right. Because when they were talking about this relational issue, it did jar my memory a little bit and go, I remember going through that when I was your age, but that was so far in my rear view mirror that it was just a kind of a thought now, it wasn't really real. What that person was experiencing right then and there was very real to them. It was something they could not let bother them because it bothered them immensely. It was shaking them up. It was, they thought about it all the time. And so for me just to say, don't let it bother you, was not good advice. Have you ever been through a struggle or a time of suffering in your life where you needed to talk about it? And you talked about it a lot and you kind of go, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? What is the purpose of this that I'm going through? I don't understand this. And hopefully, as you talk that out, hopefully someone gave you better and more sensitive advice than than I did to this person. But we probably all have in the past or presently, or will ask at some point in the future, we will be asking these questions many times about why am I going through? Why is this happening? What is the purpose of this struggle I'm going through? And many times after we've gone through that struggle or that difficult time where we really are suffering, we kind of look back in our rearview mirror and we go, ah, that seems a little clear now that that was for a purpose. God was doing that for a reason. But in the midst of it, y'all, we don't see that, do we? We just go, stop it. Make it stop. Make me get back to normal. Make me stop hurting. All of that stuff. Just, I want to be done with it. But God's doing something in and through that. Well, in our text today, and we've been going through the book of Colossians. If you're here for the first time, that's okay. If you've missed the first couple of sermons, that's all right. We're just going to jump right back into it. But Colossians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison going through personal struggles. And he's writing to a church in a place, a real place called Colossus, where there were people who have become Jesus followers. And what they put their faith in was colliding with the Greek and Roman culture of their time in the first century. Very similar to ours, you may think, how can the first century and the 21st century be very similar? But there were a lot of things out there that were telling people, hey, God's not real, Jesus is not really real, you don't really need that stuff, you need multiple gods, you need lots of different things like the Greeks and Romans had. And they're struggling because they came to faith to know a Christ that we talked about last week that was one with God, that He was the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And 
the Word came and dwelt among us, as we read about it. We talked about it at Christmas time. So that was real. And that they were going through a real struggle. I'm struggling with this. I know what I've been taught. I know what I've heard from Paul. But it, it, it clashes with the culture and the things I'm hearing all around me in the environment that I live. So we're going to look at that, those struggles that they were going through. And we're going to look as Paul kind of walks them through that. So we're going to look at uh, Colossians. It's going to be on the screen there, hopefully, uh, chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 24. And again, this is a letter that, that Paul wrote. And we're going to look at the end of chapter 1 and get into part of chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people." To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not yet met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So a very personal letter. But did you notice how many times in there that Paul mentions this thing called mystery? He said this mystery that has been hidden through the ages... And so he mentions that, and we'll get into this a little bit more next week, but he mentions that a lot because in this culture they try to make things kind of mysterious, and it has been kind of a mystery. The Jewish people have talked about all through the Old Testament there would be a Messiah that would come and save the world, and in Christ that Messiah has come. But it can't, he came as one we weren't expecting. Why would the Messiah come born in a feed trough in a manger? Why would the Messiah come and not take over in a palace, but work as a carpenter for 30 years before he even started his ministry? Why would he go after and really cater to really the poor and those who were downtrodden in culture? And his harshest words were for the religious authorities. That didn't seem like a savior to most of those people who were looking for something else, but it was in fact how God saved the world. But I want us to wade through what Paul was saying to this church. And in the process, I hope we also grasp what God is really saying to us in this amazing letter. Although it was 20 centuries ago, it still has very, very, uh, has much value to us today in our culture. Well, that first part may have seemed a little confusing. It sounds like Paul was actually saying that Christ's sufferings lack something that need to be filled up. And that's in sharp contrast to what we read about last week. 
in the first part of this letter. Because Paul was crystal clear when he says that Jesus was with God and Jesus was God not only as the creator of the universe but also as the redeemer of all people of all times. And we are now presented, as we talked about last week, you were presented, I am presented, all people are presented in God's sight, holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That's good news, isn't it? Because I don't always feel like I'm holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Do you feel that way all the time? I certainly don't. But Paul says that's exactly how we're presented to Christ through His redemptive work. So how would that need to be filled up or added to if our redemption is complete in the Creator and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Well, it is complete. But Paul's not saying that he needs to add something to Jesus' sufferings. There's no way we can ever know exactly how Jesus suffered personally because He was God and He was man at the same time. And I know it's hard to wrap our head around how can someone be man and God at the same time. But He suffered and there's no way we can ever really um, understand that. But we do understand that he did suffer. And Paul's not saying that um, we don't suffer, but he says it's, it, and it's, not, it's impossible for us to understand some of Christ's sufferings and that redemptive work that was once and all for humanity. But he seems to be saying this, in comparison to Christ's sufferings, to Jesus' sufferings, Paul, I am lacking, but I still rejoice in being part of suffering because I recognize that getting this redemptive message to people that... You were holy in His sight. You were without blemish. That you're free from accusation. That is what God has called me to do. And I see, you know what? I, I rejoice in that. I rejoice that I'm suffering. I rejoice that I'm in jail because I'm getting that good news out. Well, why? Because it is exactly what God commissioned him to do. But I asked this question. That was the purpose in Christ that he had become a servant to getting the message not only to the Jewish people, but specifically Paul was called to get the message to the Gentile people, everybody that wasn't Jewish. And the Jew, some of the Jewish people had a hard time with this. No, it's just for us. We're God's chosen people. But from the beginning of the Old Testament, God has said, you are the people that I've chosen to get the message to everyone. Not that you're exclusively the ones that get the message, but you're the ones that I've given it to to reflect it to the rest of the world. And sometimes they had a hard time grasping that. And sometimes we do, don't we? We think it's just about us and the church and all those people out there need to get on board. No, we are supposed to reflect that to the rest of the world and that's what Paul is saying. He says, well, I recognize that me being in prison, I don't understand it, I don't like it, but I am being able to reflect through these sufferings to the rest of the world who Jesus is. But I wonder if Paul really did think or believe that his purpose intended suffering from the very beginning. Now, you know, Paul was Saul before he was Paul and he had this... um, this conversion experience on the road to Damascus. He was a uh, legalist. He was a religious leader in the Jewish church. And he was actually going door to door, city to city, and arresting people who were followers of Jesus and arresting them. And he was even a part of killing someone, martyring someone, because of what they believed. And on the way to another place, on the road to Damascus, to arrest more people because they were believers in Christ, he was struck down by this light and he heard this voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Christ Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And from that point on, he realized in a dramatic fashion that what he believed, what he was doing, was completely not part of what God had called him to do in his life. And it changed him forever. 
So now he's in jail suffering. So did he really know that though? Did he know that it was going to involve going out and telling his story and suffering for it? I don't know for sure. Because maybe Paul thought, hey, I'm going to go tell my story and tell my conversion and everybody's just going to go, wow, we're all going to become Christians and the whole world's going to be at peace. But that didn't happen, did it? It was a... It was a process. But in Acts 9, where we read about Paul's conversion experience, right after he experiences this, there's a man named Ananias, and God says, hey, there's a man named Paul, used to be Saul, I've changed his name to Paul, and he is blind now. I'm doing something in his life, and I want you to go, and I want you to touch his eyes and give him his sight back. And he goes, what? Lord, I don't know if you understand. This is the guy who was on his way to arrest us and possibly even kill us. Do you not know what he's been doing to followers of Jesus? And God's going, I got that. I'm very aware of what he was doing. But he said this. He said, Ananias, go anyway. I know you're scared. I know you know what he was before. But he says, go, exclamation point, in chapter 15 of Acts 9. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. Suffering is going to be a part of his ministry. I don't know if Paul got that at the beginning, but he eventually understood that, that that was a part of it. You see, Paul wholeheartedly embraces what God has called him to. He knows now, he knows the truth through that experience. He understands through the experiences he has had that it has connected him with Christ in a unique and powerful way. And he gets the purpose of the process, which includes this suffering he's going through, even going to jail. As you notice, he takes it seriously because he says, we are presenting the word of God in its fullness, which has been a mystery, but now it's clear, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You notice how he's saying that. It's Christ who has already died, who has already resurrected, who has already gone back to heaven, but now Christ is in you. That's the hope of the world. That's the hope of glory, is Christ living in you. And in that first century, that was important to hear, but y'all, it is so important for us to get that in our culture. The hope of the world is Christ in you and in me. Do we really realize that? When people see Christ living in you at school, when people see Christ living in you at work and in your neighborhood, that does something to them. They go, that person is different. Why do they care about me? Why are they listening to me and not just saying, oh, don't let it bother you? Why are they asking me what they can do for me? That is the hope of Christ in you. That's how Christ operates now. He says, I'm leaving. I'm no longer going to be here and walk on water and turn water into wine. Here, you are going to be my hands and feet now. That's awesome when you really think about it. We are the hope of the world, Christ living in us. And he says, I want to present everyone fully mature in Christ with all the power of Christ working in me. He's not taking credit for any of this. He goes, everything I do, I realize Christ is in me. That's the power that I have is Christ working in me. And Paul also wants this group of Jesus followers to know that he's contending for them. That's the word he uses. And others in the region, while he's in jail, even though he hasn't even met them personally. And I bet some of them are going, that's amazing. Why would this guy who's never even met us and knows that we're struggling in our faith and that we're new in our faith, why does he care so much? Even when he's in jail, because he understands what, what Christ has called him to do. And he wants them to know Christ and what that means. He says, I want you to be encouraged in your heart. I want you to be united in love. I want you to have the full riches of complete understanding. 
know the mystery. There's that word again. The mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. And again, he keeps referring to mystery and hidden things because in this culture, there's people that say, hey, we've heard about this Jesus. There's no denying that he lived. There's no denying that he worked miracles, that he healed people, that he raised people from the dead, that he walked on water. We've heard of all that, but he's gone now, and that's not enough. You can believe in him, but that's not enough. There has to be other things in this Greek and Roman culture. Any of y'all ever taken Greek and Roman in, in, in school? It's a whole lot of gods in there. A whole lot of gods. So you need to combine all those things together to really reach the height of spiritualness that you need to reach. So they're hearing some of this and they're like, wait a minute. Paul said all I need is Christ, but my culture is telling me I need all these other things. And so there's this, this conflict. Now here's the where it, I think it connects with us. If you went home today and Googled Jesus, do you not believe there would be a lot of different explanations about who Jesus is on your computer? Absolutely. There would be a whole group of people that sound really smart that would tell you, well, he was a good man, and he did a lot of things, but he really wasn't God in the flesh. He really wasn't the Son of God. And his death really didn't cover everybody's sins. You don't believe me? It's on there. There's people who believe that. Nobody ever says he was a jerk, he didn't do anything good. Nobody ever says that. But they say stuff like, well, he was a good man. But Jesus did not present himself as a good man, did he? He presented himself as God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. But you can Google all that stuff. And our kids are on their computers all the time, on their phones, looking up stuff. And they're going to run across blogs, and they're going to run across chat rooms where people are saying, yeah, the Bible's not true. God's not true. You don't need Jesus. You can do this on your own. And they start to believe that stuff, and it conflicts. And when they start getting a little rebellious, and they don't want to go to church anymore, and they don't want to, I don't want to, you know, that's my, that's my dad's faith. That's my, my grandmother's faith. That's not really my faith. I need, to, I need to learn. I would encourage you to study, but you need to be very, very careful, because just like in Paul's culture, there are, class, there are people that are trying to deceive you into believing that Jesus is not enough, and he is. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And we need to believe that and know that in the very foundation of our faith. But that's going on in Paul's um, time just as well. So Paul's trying to combat this deceptive teaching. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons he's in jail. Because when you go around telling people that all this stuff y'all are going after, see all these temples in your community where people are doing all this stuff? That's not real. People are profiting off of you. There was all kind of prostitution that went on in worship services. I can see how that would be appealing to some people. And it was very appealing, but you know what else? It was very lucrative money-wise. So when Paul comes into town and says, all that's not real, that's deceptive. It gets you into um, an obsession about things that's not real. That's not really who God is. Those things aren't real. And those people who are making money off of that all of a sudden see people that used to come to their temples and practice that kind of stuff saying, you know what? It is hollow. It is deceptive. It's not real. It's shallow. It has not made my life better. It's ruined my family. It's ruined me. I need a change in my life. And when all of a sudden people start leaving that and coming to Christ, that was hurting them not only by saying, hey, what you believe is wrong. You want to get somebody's attention? Want to get them fired up at you? Tell them what they believe is wrong. Do you like hearing that from somebody? Of course not. But Paul's going in there and then he's also saying these people are losing money because he's turning them away from these, these deceptions. And so you're going to jail, buddy, because you're causing chaos. And Paul understands that. And he understands that this is part of what God's called him to do. 
And we're going to talk a little bit more about that deceiving um, philosophy that's going on in that first century culture. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But as we finish up this morning, I hope you see what Paul is saying. I care about you. I haven't even met you yet, but I care about you. And the struggles you are going through, I'm going through struggles as well. But we know that is for a purpose. God does not do these things in our life without doing something to our character, something to our faith. And it's very important. Now, do I believe that Paul knew when he started writing these letters out of prison that he thought, oh yeah, I'm going to start writing these letters out of prison and that's going to be compiled in about 200 years from now and it's going to be made into this thing called the Bible and people are going to read it. I'm so glad I get to be a part of that. He didn't know that. But think about this. If Paul had not gone to prison for what he was teaching and preaching... Would we have ever been standing here today, sitting here today, listening to this letter to the Colossians? I don't know. But he did go to jail. And instead of just sitting there, he goes, I'm going to write letters to encourage people and remind them, you, Christ in you, that's the hope of the world. And he kept sending those out. And people kept passing that letter on, passing that letter on, passing that letter on. And do y'all realize 20 centuries later, we're still reading that letter. Is that not amazing? God knew what he was doing, didn't he? He knew exactly what he's doing. He knew you needed to hear that today. He knew that I needed to hear that today. And all the people even beyond us need to hear that message. Recently, in a, in a, a blog I, I read by Randy Alcorn, some of y'all know who Randy Alcorn is, wrote a lot of great books. Uh, Mike did a, a, a study back in the fall here on Wednesday nights on his book called Heaven. But listen to what he says about suffering and, and about uh, struggles. Mountain climbers could save time and energy if they reached the summit in a helicopter. But their ultimate purpose is conquest, not efficiency. Sure, they want to reach a goal, but they desire to do it by testing and deepening their character, discipline, and resolve. God could create scientists, mathematicians, athletes, and musicians. He doesn't. He creates children who take on those roles over a long process. God doesn't make us fully Christ-like the moment we're born again. He conforms us to the image of Christ gradually. Listen to what he says to the church in Corinth. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with an ever increasing glory. And that's exactly what he's doing to us. He goes on. In our spiritual lives as in our professional lives and in sports and in hobbies we improve and excel by handling failure and learning from it. Only in cultivating discipline, endurance, and patience do we find satisfaction and reward. And those qualities are most developed through some form of suffering and struggle. Is that not true? I love that illustration about a mountain climber in a helicopter. I mean, you can get in a helicopter and go over a mountain and just hover above it or maybe have somebody drop you off that helicopter onto that summit and you go, this is an awesome view. But how much more awesome is that view when you started at the very bottom and you camped out in the cold and you learned how to tie your whatever all those things are off and you have to go up the rock and you slipped and fallen and had to get back up and come up there and go through all that stuff. When you reach that summit, do you think it means a little more than dropping from a helicopter? You better believe it does. And so what he's saying is, is God wants to do things in our lives through those struggles that we don't really want. We avoid them. We want to keep our kids from, we helicopter parent, you know what I'm saying? Let's keep them from those. But God's doing something in your kids through their struggles. And you should be there and you should help them through it. But God's trying to do something in their character and in my character through struggles. Wheaton College um, professor administrator named Stan Jones in 2014 wrote this 
about a debilitating disease that he was dealing with. And uh, listen to what he says. He said, long ago I read a book about suffering. And the author made a point that I have had to return to time and time again. He said that most of our why questions about suffering are ultimately unanswerable. That's true, isn't it? We're going to have a lot of questions about our suffering that are unanswerable. He says, God does not seem to be in the business of answering the why questions. And most of our philosophical responses to the question of suffering amount to various forms of taking God off the hook for the problem of suffering. But this author pointed out that God doesn't seem to be interested in getting off the hook. In fact, the answer of God in Jesus Christ to the problem of suffering is not to get off the hook at all, but rather to impale himself on the hook of human suffering with us in the very midst of our suffering. Kind of let that sit in for a minute. God doesn't need me to explain away suffering because when somebody asks me why a little girl has cancer... Why there are starving kids in certain parts of the world and we, have, we throw away more food today in our houses than they'll have in their whole, probably whole year. I don't have the answer for that. But I don't need to defend God. God says, I'm very aware of suffering. Matter of fact, so much that I suffer with you. And I'm not trying to escape it. Did he just try to escape suffering in his life? No, he did not. He impaled himself, I love that. He impaled himself on the hook of human suffering with us in the very midst of our suffering. Suffering connects us to Jesus and connects Jesus to us. I know that's not something we really want. It's not something we desire. It's not something that's fun to go through suffering. But because suffering and struggles are inevitable, do you hear me? It's inevitable. You're not going to go through life with no struggles and no suffering. Thanks, Craig, for that. But it's true. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. But learning how they can deepen our faith, our understanding, and dependence on God allows us to grasp the purpose of that suffering and Paul's understanding. it. He doesn't like being in jail, but he's saying, hey, I'm getting some opportunities because of this suffering. You're getting to hear from me, even though I've never met you, because of this suffering. And that is how I'm connected to Christ through his suffering. Listen to one of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter, who initially was trying to avoid suffering. And when Jesus first said, I'm going to have to suffer and die on the cross, he said, no, come here, Lord. You're not going to have to go to the cross. You don't need to go through all that. And what did, what did Jesus say? Get behind me what? Satan. Satan. He had just made the great confession Peter had, but he said, no, Suffering is part of what's going to save the world, Peter. You need to understand that. Peter still didn't grasp it. So much so, when Jesus got arrested, what did Peter do? I don't even know that guy. He didn't want to have to go through suffering. But later in his life, after he had been through lots of suffering, listen to what he says in his letter. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice! Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. See, God did something in Him. And y'all, that didn't happen like He just flipped a switch overnight. This was years and years and years of Him getting closer through His sufferings to Christ. And finally He goes, I get it now. God's transforming me through that. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, 8.28, some of you have probably heard this over and over again. And we know that in... All things God works for the good of those who love Him 
and have been called according to His purpose. And you know who's been called according to His purpose? All of us. We've all been created for His purpose. And He says, and we know that in some things, we know that in good things, no, He says what? In all things, God works for the good of those who've been called according to His purpose. So we need to understand that. So Peter and Paul and those Christ followers from the first centuries are not saying, like I said to this person, oh, don't let it bother you. They're saying, let it inspire you. Let it challenge you. Let it transform you into being who Christ has called you to be. I'm sorry you're going through the suffering. And we should be there for people as they're going through the suffering. But it's a challenge to recognize it's for us. And here's the deal. As, as I look over, I know some of your stories because you've been gracious enough to share your stories with me. And so the next time somebody comes up to me instead of being sensitive and saying, oh, don't let it bother you, I need to say you need to talk to this person because they've been exactly where you, you were, where you are now. They've been through that. And y'all, that's the beauty of the church, isn't it? That because of what you've been through, what you're going through right now, what you've been through in your past, wherever it is that you've gone through struggles and come out and still have your faith, you need to talk to somebody that's struggling in their faith. And sometimes I have no clue what they're going through, but you're the person that God's going to use to help that person get through that struggle. Because you've been there. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, hey, you need to talk to so-and-so. I can't tell you how many times recently people that have lost a loved one, there's been somebody that's a few months ahead of time in losing that loved one, but they've come up and I've seen them in that lobby out there with their arm around and say, how you doing? And they start talking and they're going through the grieving process and they're helping each other through that. Do you understand that? That's suffering, but it's doing something in us to make us more like Christ and who He's called us to be. So it's quite a challenge. So this morning, as, as I think about the problem of pain, I want to, I want to read that, that quote again. The answer of God in Jesus Christ to the problem of suffering is not to get off the hook at all, but rather to impale Himself on the hook of human suffering with us in the very midst of our suffering. And y'all, that's exactly what Jesus did by dying on the cross for us. He did that willingly. He allowed Himself to be impaled, put nails in His hands and in His feet, and on the cross, once and for all, taking care of what... You know what the, really the source of all suffering is, y'all? Sin. Cancer is because of sin. All of the things that happened... God did not create the world to have suffering and natural disasters and all that. We have brought that on through our sin. And you go, oh, come on now. That's not my fault. But cumulatively, effectively, all of our sin together has transformed this world into something God never intended it to be. Why do you think we look so forward to heaven? Because we know it will be the way God always wanted it to be. And there will be no, as Revelation says, no more suffering, no more crying. The old order of things is gone. But until then, we need to have the hope that Paul had as we go through that suffering. So we're going to offer an invitation this morning. If you want to become a follower of Christ, and I bet we won't have anybody come this morning. Because you know what? When you become a follower of Christ, He does not promise that it won't be suffering, that there won't be struggles, that there won't be pain. But He says, I know about them, and I'll be there with you through all of them. And I will get you through. There's hope. There's hope. And that's part of you becoming who I created you to be. So we may have somebody, and I pray that we do, but that's... You know, there's a lot of people that walked away from Jesus when He called them to be His disciples. I, I don't want a part of that. But Jesus calls us 
to follow him and know the depth of life, to know the depth of his character more as we suffer and become like him. So this morning, if you need to make a a decision this morning, we're going to offer that. Maybe to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. If you just need to pray about something, want to come up here and kneel at these steps and pray, we, we offer that opportunity. If you're looking for a church home where we say, you know what, we as a church body, as a community of believers, we want to surround each other when we're going through struggles. Not come into church and go, yeah, I'm doing fine, knowing deep inside you're not doing fine. That you got relationships that are falling apart, stuff at work that's going on, stuff at school that's going on, and you need to pretend everything's okay. You need to be able to say to people in your church, man, I'm hurting, can you help me? And we need to be able to help them instead of acting like we got it all together. Because none of us do, do we? Only in Christ we have it together. So we want to be a church that, hey, reaches out and helps people through their struggles. And you can be a part of that. So if you're looking for a church home, we offer that as well. But we're going to go into a time of communion. And we go into a time of communion where we remember that Jesus allowed himself to be put on that cross to take care of our sin once and for all. Not take care of our suffering, y'all, but to take care of our sin. Suffering's still going to be there, but no longer is that sin going to separate you from God. You are now connected. Salvation is eternal life eternal relationship with God the Father that has been purchased for you and for me and for all of humanity by Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the good news of the gospel. So we're going to remember that in communion if you're a guest here today and um, you say, hey, I don't, I'm not used to taking communion every week. That's okay. We do it every week. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you're a believer and you want to be a part of that, we're going to have some people that are going to serve that to you in just a minute. But we're going to sing a song first to get us prepared for communion time. And Kevin's going to lead us. If you have a decision this morning, we ask you to come forward and I'll try to walk you through that and talk you through that. So let's stand now and and worship as we prepare for communion.